if there's ever a time where we needed to pull together as believers of Christ and, and unite and try to strengthen and make the world a better place, it's now. Mm-hmm. And that, that sounds like he's yeah. preaching our message. <laughs> there's one body, one church, one spirit, one hope. The realities of the faith, the realities that unify us are already there. Christ prays for unity. What should we all be praying for? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one prayer request of Jesus. Think about it in the Bible that we actually have a say in whether or not it comes to fruition or not. I think in what God has done in you guys and uh, in this podcast and the, the multitude of folks that you're reaching, the diversity, whatever God intended when, he, when you started this, he's able to bring it to completion. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Whole Church Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, here with your other co-host, the one, the only, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Howdy. Yes. Got a very exciting episode for everyone today. TJ is going to explain to us all about his favorite parts of dragon lore, as well as maybe mentioning Genesis 9 and alcohol. We'll find out about that last part. Uh, Biblical dragon stuff. (laughs) We are going to be talking about Genesis 9 and alcohol and uh, different views on that. But before we jump in, I want to review some of our audience's answers to last week's silly question. So here's my top three. I've been limited to top three by my box, TJ. Yeah. Um, number three is going to be uh, from Erin Hardy. She said Mermaid Man was her favorite aquatic cartoon character. Other two favorite aquatic cartoon characters. And this one was close. And second place is only second place because he's only semi-aquatic. Someone said Perry the Platypus. That was Jake Dobrantz, one of our future guests on the podcast, said Perry the Platypus, though he's only semi-aquatic, which is correct. Which is why he's second place. And I'm giving my brother first place this week. He said the penguins of Madagascar, and I just thought that was a great answer. Well, listen, hold on. Penguins are also semi-aquatic. Nah, if you Google it, it says aquatic birds. Whereas the other one, it does say semi-aquatic, so you know. That's just incorrect. Anyway. So, uh, silly question for this week. Uh, if you could slime anyone in history at any time, who and, and when would you slime? Joshua. Do you want me to go first? Yeah, you go first. Okay, so I was going to say Abraham Lincoln during the Gettysburg Address, because I think that would be hilarious. But I'm going to back out of that, as I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to get the South to rise again or anything. Um, Actually, I'm, I'm going to say my grandpa, father, papa, right before he jumped out and scared me, one of the many times that he did, simply because he would find that hilarious, and I would find it a lot funnier than him jumping out and scaring us. Mm. I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So mine is not known to many people because the person I want to slime isn't famous. <laughs> but yeah, my great grandpa during World War II. Uh, when he got taken prisoner of war. Uh, yeah, no, he, he got taken at the Battle of the Bulge. They walked them off the mountain, lined them up, and made them empty their pockets. And he pulled out a, just a huge onion out of his pocket. Because <laughs> he, was, he was carrying around a big onion to eat later. Okay, sure. Yeah, and, and the German officer that spoke English was like, you're going to want to put that back. You're going to need that. And I would have slammed him right then. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. Oh, good. That's yeah. That's, that sounds priceless. <laughs> yeah. 
man, I can't wait to hear other people's answer to this one. It's going to be great. Yeah. All right. Uh, so to get into it today, uh, we wanted to start off by reading uh, Genesis 9, 20 through 26. Uh, 20 through 27. And uh, it goes that this is from the Christian Standard Bible. Noah, as a man of the soil, began by planting a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and uncovered himself inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a cloak and placed it over both their shoulders, and walking backward, they covered their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his drinking and learned what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Canaan is cursed. He will be the lowest of slaves to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. Let God extend Japheth. Let Japheth dwell in the tents of Shem. Let Canaan be Shem's slave. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are a few different debates that happen with these verses. And but and, and we're, we're going to talk about some of the bigger stuff later on in the episode. But I do want to remind everyone, our goal isn't to settle anything, right? We want to just discuss what other beliefs are so that we can see where unity can and can't happen. So with that in mind, before we talk about drunkenness, because that is one of the themes of this passage, we want to talk about the actual meaning of this passage and some of the other debates that are associated with it. So first, uh, you see the parallel of Genesis 2, Genesis 2 and 3, I guess. And that's sort of where, um, you know, in Genesis 2 and 3, God planted. Here in Genesis 9, Noah plants. Um, then you have the fruit of good and evil that grown up, and you have the vineyard that grew up. And Adam ate and was shameful. Noah ate, found in his nakedness, which was also seen to be shameful. And the big difference being that in Genesis 2 and 3, God clothed Adam and Eve, but here, Shen and Japheth were the ones who clothed Noah. So that's sort of the big difference is here, these men were being agents of God, and thus we are going to see here in the next couple chapters the beginning of God's chosen people. So that's sort of the, one of the real messages behind it. The other message is the real sin of this passage, the real sin that it brings up. Not that drunkenness isn't a sin, but that's not where the focus is here. The focus is on the sin of Canaan, who went and looked at Noah while he was naked. So, you know, whether that sin be that he was pornographic, whether he was mocking his elder, you know, being disrespectful to an elder or his father-in-law, whatever it may be, that act was the sinful act in this passage. That was the fault that this passage focuses on. So we want to keep that in mind. We also want to keep in mind uh, that there's so many just, most of the arguments here, which we're going to see all throughout the Bible, and we usually won't take the time to focus on them, are going to be these little arguments where there's just parts of the scripture that's kind of confusing. Like, um, so Shem and Japheth both clothe Noah, right? They both do this good act. And yet, in the passage of cursings and blessings, he curses Canaan for his sin, naturally. But then it's like, okay, uh, Shem's going to do great, and Japheth, you're going to be his servant. You're going to live in his tents. It'll be great. Well, why does the Bible say that? And there's a lot of arguments back and forth. Um, one of the, the key parts is, 
in that passage, it says, it talks about Japheth. And then the next line says he. And for us English-speaking people, we associate pronouns with the last proper noun. So we just say, yeah, so that he is Japheth. Japheth will dwell in Shem's tents. However, the word they use for he and some of the direct objects really makes it look like it could have been saying that God was dwelling in Shem's tent. So one of the arguments people have is, is it Japheth or God that's meant to be dwelling in Shem's tents? And our answer is, we don't know. It doesn't really matter. We can be united. If you think Japheth dwelt in that guy's tent, or if you think God dwelt in that guy's tent, it does not matter to today's context really at all. But that's just the little arguments, and that's the stuff that we have about the actual text today. However, you're going to see, Jesus is going to take us in a little minute, and we're going to focus on that other kind of, the idea of drunkenness and drinking and alcohol in the Bible, even though that wasn't the main topic of this passage, we want to be clear on that. It was sort of what was used to make other sin happen. And that's going to be important later on in this discussion. Uh, so we, of course, talk to our prestigious group of profound thinkers uh, at the whole church think tank on Facebook okay. to this topic. And, Which is uh, just... Um, some of our previous guests and a few other people. Mm-hmm. There, there was a small amount of discourse that occurred, uh, as it always does when this topic is brought up. So I'll go over a little bit of that. Not the whole thing. Uh, we don't have enough time for the entire episode, actually. Uh, that's not <laughs> the But uh, we had a friend of ours, Niles Merritt, uh, mention that the topic has been heavily influenced in the United States uh, by fundamentalist prohibitionist legalism. Uh, other cultures outside the U.S., uh, al- and alcohol doesn't have the same taboo status in the church. Uh, they use wine in their Lord's Supper. That's pretty much the only example I know of, for I'm <laughs> simply not that intelligent. But uh, he goes on with scriptural support. Uh, I think he gives us like Five, maybe six scriptures. Uh, he also added that uh, Spurgeon smoked David Dance, and there are scriptures encouraging counting lot, casting lots, which uh, is gambling. Yeah. Well, he also mentioned uh, Luther drank a lot of beer. Martin right. Luther. Martin Luther, yeah. uh, German. Yeah. Drank his beer, drank it warm. So surprised. He was German. Yeah. But uh, in, in response to that, or well, with the support of that, he said, you know, clearly drinking alcohol is not sinful. And in certain instances, it is encouraged. But drunkenness and alcoholism, on the other hand, are sinful. And uh, thought that was really, I mean, he really laid it all out there. He, like, he expected us to say this and already had written <laughs> up his answer. Yeah, it was just pretty great. And uh, mm-hmm. Kelly O'Sullivan, I remember, he, he agreed wholeheartedly with that. Mm-hmm. And he's been on the podcast before. Yeah, good guy, that Kelly. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, one of our other good friends of the podcast, Chris Galloway, uh, he said, hey, I think you guys should do an episode on this, basically. Oh, are we going to? I don't know. Uh, I'd have to ask Josh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he said, tackle drinking, because drunkenness will send you to hell. Not tithing is between you and the Lord. And then that, that sparked another little thing here. 
but uh, that's beside our point. <laughs> and uh, so we, of course, polled them. And we gave them the options of, uh, you know, hey, what do you think? Is getting drunk a sin, but drinking is not? Uh, drinking at all is a sin. And we had one other, but we had an option for other, and we had one person choose that. But uh, out of the seven votes, I think it was, uh, five of them said getting drunk is a sin, but drinking is not. Uh, one said drinking at all is a sin, and one person said other. And then uh, we just wanted to let you guys know that this is... We're not aiming to settle any arguments here. We clearly cannot. <laughs> uh, what we want to do is to best understand the other perspectives and discover how we can all be united across the varying views. Uh, we believe that educating ourselves on others' beliefs is a major key to unity and peace with others, which you can see if you you know, listen to our episodes, basically any of them. <laughs> where we're talking to someone with different beliefs or, yeah. you know, their own beliefs. And the point is to find unity with these people. Yeah. Which is why we do the Poland thing tank, too. It's, it's interesting because, okay. you know, to me, I really thought a lot more people would have voted that drinking at all was a sin. Turned out pretty much everyone in our think tank, which includes a lot of Protestants, a Catholic, an Orthodox, you know, whatever. But most of them seem to agree that, you know, Drinking isn't a sin, but being drunk is, which I found interesting. Uh -huh. Which is exactly what we're going to talk about next. Uh, moderationism. Uh, probably, I would say, the most popular view outside of the U.S., at least. Or worldwide, probably the most popular view. Uh, abstentionism, I think is the way you say that, uh, is probably close to it in the U.S., but uh, moderationism is the idea that drinking is okay, but getting drunk is a sin. That's, you know, everything you do, do it in moderation. You know, everything is bad for you in excess, that thing. And, uh, you know, Catholics, Orthodox churches, Anglicans, Lutherans, uh, our modern Reformed churches, and as well as most modern church fathers, uh, St. Augustine, Jerome, Thomas, Aquinas, uh, Martin Luther. <laughs> Uh, they held to this view, yeah, which seems pretty reasonable to me. Yeah, pretty much all historical mm -hmm. Christian leaders believed that. And um, I mean, it, it is it is interesting that so many people believe that way, and how how we've changed now. And we're, we're going to get to that later. But a lot of that has to do with how um, people think alcohol has changed in general, you know, wine and that kind of stuff. But we'll talk about that later on. Um, it's important to note, though, uh, you know, we talk about a lot on here, especially in the speed round, we ask people their emphasis on tradition, because, you know, like the Catholic Church has tradition and the Bible as like hand in hand and authority. And like the Methodist Church equates tradition as really authoritative. And when you have tradition isn't that important, it's significant that St. Augustine and all these other church leaders and our tradition never believed drinking was a sin. It makes it a lot harder to get away from that idea if you're putting so much emphasis on tradition. In fact, uh, St. Augustine and a lot of the church fathers from the first couple centuries actually taught that moderation in alcohol and just in general, moderation is a cardinal virtue in just the same way that gluttony is a deadly sin. And most of our church fathers kind of just treated drunkenness as a form of gluttony, which is why 
they considered a sin in the first place and why they thought it was written in the Bible as a sin because drunkenness is gluttony. It's when you drink so much, something bad happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, even some church leaders all through history, including some modern ones, uh, one guy I really like is Kevin DeYoung, who doesn't, I don't think he's a modern moderationist, but I'm not sure, so don't quote me on that. But he points out that gluttony isn't overeating one time, but it's rather the act of focusing too much on food. You know, just because I stuffed myself at Thanksgiving yesterday doesn't mean that I am a glutton. It means that I overate once. To say that you or have committed gluttony is I overate much and all I'm thinking of for the next week are giant meals every single dinner. That is gluttony, not overeating one time. A lot of people will use that kind of mindset and also say the same thing is true as drunkenness. Where the Bible talks about drunkenness, it's talking about people who are focusing on drinking and want to be drunk all the time and are living a lifestyle of drunkenness, not just they got drunk one time. Now, that's not a major popular view, so we're not going to spend a lot of time thinking about it, but that is some, some people do believe that way, where that getting drunk isn't necessarily a sin even, but living in drunkenness is. Uh-huh. But that's not as popular. Right. Uh- but the strength of this position is its stress on personal responsibility and how it takes consideration of Bible verses that support drinking, as well as the verses that condemn drunkenness. Uh, verses such as Ecclesiastes 9.7, which says, Go, eat your bread with pleasure, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already accepted your works. Uh, you know, it's a celebration of works being accepted. Uh, Psalms 104.14-15 says, he causes grass to grow for the livestock and provides crops for man to cultivate, producing food from the earth. Wine that makes human hearts glad, making his face shine with oil and bread that sustains human hearts. Uh, it goes on. It, it doesn't go on. But First uh, Peter four and three says, or four three says, for there has already been enough time spent in going in doing what the Gentiles chose to do. Carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. And, uh, and you know, Ephesians 5.18 says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. That's just a few verses from throughout the Bible where it's, you know, drinking is okay. Getting drunk is not. Getting drunk is bad. We don't like those people. But anyway. You know what I found out? What did you find out? I didn't mean to interrupt you. I found out that the word for wine is used over 70 times in the Bible. One of the words. Like, there's like eight different words for wine in the Bible, but you, you know what I mean. Wow. Yeah, it's just crazy. Oh, you know, it's, you know, ma- mankind and alcohol goes hand in hand throughout time. But that's a topic for a different <laughs> podcast entirely. But... Uh, so the greatest weakness in this belief is that drinking may put a stumbling block in front of other brothers and sisters who struggle with alcoholism. And drinking at all makes it easier to get drunk and to fall into drunkenness, uh, such as in Romans 14, 20 and 21. Uh, do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is a good thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. And that speaks to more than just drunkenness. Wait, so you think if I I drink, I can get drunk? Yeah, it seems that way. 
crazy. At least biblically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, it's about not partaking in these actions that you know others struggle with. But uh, uh, we have a quote from Martin Luther. Yeah. Who, who was that? Not to appeal to authority. Yeah. But, you know, Martin Luther. He says, uh, we must not reject or condemn anything because it is abused. Uh, wine and women bring many a man to misery and make a fool of him. So we would need to kill all the women and pour out all the wine. It's it's like one of those shock tactics. Yeah, pretty strong argument. <laughs> yeah, like it's it's like a modest proposal by yeah. some Irish guy. That's but a good, good short story, though. It is. It's like he's talking about how this is so bad, and he's like, "Well, I have a solution. We'll start eating children." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you haven't read that story, you should. Yeah, and he just proposed it seriously, and it's like it's supposed to wake people up. You're like, well, we can't just do that because that's not how you solve a problem. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah. the next view we wanted to look at was abstentionism. Uh, it, abstentionism is essentially. The Bible isn't against drinking, but we still abstain because we know it is the wiser choice. And uh, that is mostly a modern belief held by Baptists, Pentecostals, Nazarenes, Methodists, and most modern evangelicals, uh, notably Billy Graham, John Piper, uh, Albert Moeller. Exactly. And that is yeah. what our denomination believes yeah. in. Yeah. Mm. Which, uh, just by the way, uh, Baptists are kind of torn on this, which we'll, we'll talk about that later, but half of Baptists are actually prohibitionists. Right. But yeah, no, so this idea, it primarily rose with, uh, in America, which, you know, that's what Niles was mentioning earlier in our Think Tank segment. Um, it's, uh, it, it came up with the ideas of prohibition in some of the temperance movement of the Second Great Awakening, which, yeah, if you, if you haven't, if you don't know much about that, look into it. It's an important part of American history. But uh, alcoholism was actually banned in America for a time. Not alcoholism, just alcohol. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, which I guess also alcoholism. <laughs> yeah. But all alcohol, period. Yeah. Uh, so the greatest strength of this stance is that it puts a special stress on personal holiness and is cautious of putting stomach blocks in front of others, other brothers and sisters. Yeah, and this view, um, it, it also, it'll point to covenants in the Bible that talk about how to get closer to God, right? There's the Nazarene vow where people were especially close to God if they did this extra vow. Like, they didn't need to do that to be part of God's people or to be saved. But it's that if you want to be Nazarene, it's like God's best friends are Nazarenes, do these things. And one of those things was to abstain from alcohol. And in uh, mm -hmm. Proverbs 31.4, he talks about uh, how the proverb is he says, you know, it's wise for kings to not drink. Well, if it's wise, it's for kings to not drink. And if being closer to God is, you know, being a Nazarene value, you don't drink, then we could probably be closer to God also by not drinking. Sort of kind of the mindset of people who take that view. Uh -huh. And uh, in Numbers 6 and 1, uh, it says, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when a man or woman makes a special vow, a Nazarite vow, to consecrate himself to the Lord, he is to abstain from wine and beer, which is you know what kind of that idea. Like, hey, maybe if we do it, we'll be close to God. But uh, he must not drink vinegar made from wine or beer. 
He must not drink any grape juice or eat fresh grapes or raisins. He is not to eat anything produced by the grapevine, from seeds to skin, during the period of his consecration, which is just taking the whole thing and going like a whole nother step. Like, yeah, we aren't going to drink, and we aren't going to partake of anything that could be used to make a drink. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. which is important because uh, some of the words in the Bible for wine is actually grape juice, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. But also some of the words are definitely talking about alcoholic beverages. So, But that that's why it says both of those things here, because, yeah. Uh, the greatest weakness of the stance is that it may lead people into denying a freedom and source of joy that God intended for his people to have and enjoy. Yeah. So one, one verse, people who argue against abstentionism, you know, moderate, moderationism, People like to use this to argue against it. And they'll read from uh, Nehemiah 8, 9 and 10. It's uh, then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So what was happening is they just got Jerusalem back, the Israelites did, and they're learning the Bible again for the first time for a lot of them. So that's kind of the context behind here. It says, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. They realized, hey, we've been doing bad stuff, guys. It says, uh, but then Ezra said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so it's kind of tying the joy of the Lord and, you know, drinking and eating and having a good time all together. And um, it actually is uh, that was right before they tell them to enjoy the Feast of Booths. Feast of Booths is basically Jewish Thanksgiving. We just had our Thanksgiving yesterday, so it's interesting we're talking about that now. But uh, what they would do is they celebrated the harvest of food by eating the food and then celebrated the harvest of the vine by drinking wine. So it's a big drinking holiday for Jews as well, or especially at that time. So when he says, hey, go drink of the sweet, he's saying, hey, y'all go have a good time. And that's what a lot of people who argue against this say, hey, you're missing out on one of the joys of God, something that he wants us to enjoy. That's that argument against this. Mm-hmm. And uh, John Wesley was abstentionist. He said, you see the wine when it sparkles in the cup and are going to drink of it. I tell you, there is poison in it and therefore beg you to throw it away. It, it's yeah. just... Yeah. Which Charles Wesley was like the founder of Methodism and pretty much the founder of this stance. Not really, but he popularized it. But that's Sorry, just one one fellow over there saying his thing. You know, just John Wesley. Hey everyone, uh, we just wanted to take a quick break to tell you all the ways you can help us keep this show going. Uh, you know, your favorite Church Unity podcast. Yeah, so support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast. Every dollar counts. Subscribe to our show at your favorite podcast provider, whatever that may be. Leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social media. Share this episode on your own social media. And you can subscribe to our newsletter by emailing us at thewholechurch at gmail.com. Especially that last one. It really keeps you guys updated on what we're doing better than pretty much anything else. Uh, let's get back to the show. But anyway, the next view we wanted to discuss was prohibitionism, which you know, is the belief that alcohol is prohibited 
by the Bible. Uh, not the same as federal prohibitionism, because, you know, those are laws and no longer, in fact, function. But anyway, uh, some Southern Baptist churches, Seventh-day Adventists, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, uh, and including Charles Spurgeon, uh, they believed drinking is just expressly prohibited by the Bible. Well, some of them don't think it's necessarily from the Bible, but they think it's a sin. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, this belief it became popular during the time of Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president of the United States of America, because that was the time where it was federal prohibitionism, where he made it outlawed in America. And the idea both of the federal prohibitionism and you know the more religious stance that some people take is basically that alcohol and drinking led to higher crime rates. It led to higher homeless rates. It led to a lot of health issues with people. And these are all things that Christians should care about, right? We don't want more crime. We don't want homeless issues. And as such, you know, our government said, we're just going to take alcohol away. It'll solve all those problems. And Christians were like, you know what? These do lead to all of those problems. Yeah. And that's where some Christian groups, like the ones TJ mentioned above, were like, yeah, let's just not have any alcohol at all. Right. And that's why they believe it's a sin because sin leads to death. And clearly, Alcohol was leading to death in these situations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, that went about as well as telling Americans they can't do something always goes. Yeah. Uh, yeah it maybe like less years, so. Maybe. Yeah. But uh, not only did it last 10 years, it was completely unsuccessful for those 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they stopped trying. They're like, yeah, yeah. no one's going to listen to this. But uh, the greatest strength in this stance is that it, appeals to that call for us to care for people and recognize the negative effects of alcoholism in a society, which is something we should care about. But yeah. Amen. Not necessarily okay. something people should be prohibited from doing. Uh, yeah. The greatest weakness of this stance is that it calls sin what the Bible has not called sin. Yeah. Adding and taking away. There's something about that in Revelation. It says not to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so both prohibitionists and abstentionists, man, these words are difficult, guys. (laughs) They both like to argue that in the Bible where it was primarily Greek juice, or at least it was a lot harder to get drunk on, sort of their argument, is that the wine in the Bible wasn't the same as the wine today. You know, a lot of times they'll talk about how the process of it being made, you know, a lot of things were done to keep it from being alcohol. In some cases, that was true. There was wine that was not ever turned into alcohol. And we, they had different words for that that still translated as wine, as the wine that's alcoholic. And they had a bunch of different words for these different kinds of wine, right? Mm-hmm. And what people will say is it was a lot harder to get drunk because, you know, they add water to it or something like that, which, as you may know, we do still add water to wine today. Um, so it depends which scholars you talk to, right? They will all say that wine was prepared differently back then. But, you know, the scholars who are part of prohibitionism or abstentionist, will often look at it, especially Christian scholars, and say, see, wine used to be a lot less alcoholic. It was harder to get drunk on back then. And then a lot of your moderationist scholars or, you know, secular scholars will look at it and say, yeah, it was made differently. However, you know, if we look at the methods of how it was made and everything, they think it was likely 15 to 20% alcohol then in wine, whereas today it's 10 to 12% alcohol in wine. And it's like 3 to 5% in beer or something. Beer's a lot lower. So they use that to say, so it used to be a lot more alcoholic. And really, at the end of the day, it doesn't get us anywhere because we can't 
go back to time and see what alcohol was like then. And if we had alcohol from then, it would be a lot more fermented now because that would have been a thousand years ago. Right. Yeah. So there's no way for us to really know. So these arguments that are trying to compare what it was like then to now really don't get us far in the debate because Mm -hmm. one sub's college will say one thing, the other say another thing that there's no way for us to verify. And uh, a lot of those differences that have happened over the past thousand years uh, about brewing alcohol uh, have mostly been made either for safety reasons or we found out that this makes it taste better, uh, not necessarily for the alcohol content, uh, even for other drinks like mead, which is technically still wine, uh, just made from honey. Yeah, it's crazy. Also, the oldest recorded alcoholic beverage ever. Weird. You know, I I will say, I I looked into some of this on my own time just because we were preparing this. It's weird how many of the same methods we do use from the Romans and Greeks to now. Like, we were like, yeah, they just got it right. Yeah. And then, you know, we just made it a lot safer. Yeah. But that's like, you know, mead used to be made over the course of a couple days. These days, it it takes several months for a batch. But that's not the point. (laughs) Anyway, uh, the word used for wine in John 2 uh, that Jesus made is the same word used in Ephesians 5.18 to warn against drunkenness. Which basically just implies that the wine that Jesus, you know, turned water into could get you drunk. It's the same word for both. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 20-22, Paul mentions and condemns people getting drunk off of the Lord's Supper at church meetings, which is significant. And then, you know, Charles Spurgeon, another, you know, just a guy, I guess, (laughs) uh, said, I wish the man who made the law to open them had to keep all the families that I've brought to ruin. Uh, beer shops are the big enemies, are the enemies of the home. Therefore, the sooner their licenses are taken away, the better. Which is, you know, just another call against alcohol being available. Yeah. Like, you know, well, if they had to take care of all the families that alcohol ruined, I'm sure they would see things differently. Yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So we have a quote from three different major church leaders that take different positions on this, which then begs the question, you know, unity of these positions. Can we have unity? And I, I would say, yeah, I don't think Charles Spurgeon thought of Martin Luther as a heathen. I think he still thought Martin Luther was a Christian, even though Charles Spurgeon was a prohibitionist and Martin Luther liked him some beer. I think they disagreed strongly, but I don't think they would have called one another non-Christian, if that makes sense. Um, there are some great challenges that come to unity, though. You know, first, I want to focus on the moderationist side, right? So if you believe that drinking okay and drunk is not, some of the challenges that come with this, or a lot of people believe with that stance, you have to have real wine for the Eucharist. You know, when you're doing the Lord's Supper, if you're not drinking actual alcoholic wine, you're not really doing the Lord's Supper. You're doing that sacrament incorrectly. Right. Now, And that's because in John 2, it's revealed that that is alcoholic wine. That he turns blood or water into. Right? Yeah. And, Not because um, of it, but supported by it. Yeah. And um, 
some, some churches say if you're not doing that sacrament correctly, the way that it's done in the Bible, then you're missing a major part of fellowship with Jesus. Now, pretty much most of the place, that's where that argument stops. And if you just think someone's missing out on a part of the fellowship they could be having, you can still think they're saved. That's not a big deal. But some people believe that you have to, and there's very few, but there are churches who believe you have to, you have to do the Lord's Supper correctly to be saved at all. And if that's the case, and you think that it has to be real alcohol, then all of a sudden, a lot of your Christian brothers and sisters from Protestant churches are no longer saved by your view. And you can't have Christian unity if you don't think they're saved at all. And that's just kind of where that sits. You know, it's unfortunate, but that's not really a barrier we can bridge. If you think someone's not saved, you can't have Christian unity with them because you don't think they're a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, one of the other you know, great challenges to unity uh, from this would be from the prohibitionist side. Uh, not only because their view directly counterpoints, counter, yeah, I don't know the right word. Counters, I guess. Yeah, but uh, the other two views, but uh, they add to what the Bible says, and that can cause a rift in the church. In that we must agree on the Bible as our primary foundation, which we've seen cause many, many schisms in the church, which we've talked about before. Uh, go find that episode. <laughs> but uh, yeah. the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints teaches that uh, from their word of wisdom that alcohol, caffeine, and all mind-altering drugs are expressly forbidden. Yeah. Which you know, is sacred information to them. So yeah. that's but, well, uh, really different. From them, that means to be part of their church, you cannot drink. But because the word of wisdom isn't necessarily saying these things are sin, I think they can still have Christian unity. I'm not really sure on that. We would have to ask our friends who are part of that church. Maybe we will one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other challenge from the prohibition stance is that, I've already kind of said this, but is that believing drinking is sin would mean that they could not unite with anyone living in sin including moderationists. Yeah. You know, kind of Just a big sad. group of people. Yeah. Kind of a big part of the church. Yeah. So the largest part of the church. <laughs> anyway. So, um, I, I just kind of wanted to talk some about just some of the greatest things I've heard from people with different stances on this, because it's important. I have people close to me who take different stances in this. Um, one great man of God I know who is moderationist once said, um, and, and this is kind of, his stance on this is that salvation is not just about heaven. It's about living in freedom and the joys that God has for us right now. So by living in freedom and in these joys, that's how we're a light to the world. Like God calls, calls us to be salt and light and living in that freedom and joy now is how we do that. And that's why to him, it's important that we live in some of these freedoms. I thought that was a really good word from him. Um, some of the best words I've heard from kind of the other side against drinking though. Um, I won't say from who, but uh, he said, you know, it'd be so much better if, if I had to compare and I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to say something to me. I'd much rather him say, hey, man, you know, you could have drank. It wouldn't have been a big deal. Then have him say, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. Guess where you get to go? <laughs> and you know, it's kind of much rather God be like, yeah, you could have done that than say you shouldn't have done that. And, um, and, and it's basically... 
large part of this comes to, you know, if my pastor says this, and we're not telling anyone what they should or should not do and which stance to take, that's not our place. Our place is to find unity in the church. But what my pastor says is if you're not 1,000% sure of anything, if you're not 1,000% sure that what you're doing isn't pleasing to God, don't do it. It's pretty simple, right? If there's even a chance in your head that it is a sin, you should just not do that thing. Because why take that chance? Right. It, it's like, if you have to ask the question, the answer is no. Yeah. Like, if you have to think, ask someone if this is a good idea, the answer is probably no. But that's, you know, yeah. some, sometimes <laughs> not. But the, if you, if there's that much doubt, the safer choice is just to not do it. Yeah. In Matthew fifteen eleven, it it says, "It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth this defiles a person." So we can d- disagree on whether we think it is wiser to abstain from alcohol or to enjoy the gift God gave us. However, if we draw a line and call something sin, then we cannot be united in Christian unity with those we believe are living in sin, which goes back to that prohibitionist issue, which is a problem for Christian unity. Doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just a problem for unity. Could be right. Could be right. But uh, even though our aim is not to tell you all how we believe or to settle the issue, we do think it is important to mention that our church is an abstentionist church and we fully support our church. And then, you know, Romans 12.18, sorry. It says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Amen. Amen. You know, don't don't cause problems. You should always be doing your best to be at peace with others, because you know it's in the Bible. Yeah, the Bible tells us so. Even if you're living in sin, you still should have peace with them. Even if you're not a Christian, I mean that's just, just good advice. seems like the easiest way to live life. Yeah. But uh, we hope this time has helped us all grow in our understanding of other positions so that we can be better united as the church. The whole and church. More, the whole church. <laughs> and more at peace with everyone than ever before. And if you don't feel like it helped you, uh, listen to it again. <laughs> Keep listening until you feel like you understand better and are more okay with people who disagree with your position. Or find us on social media. Uh, tell us really angrily how you feel. Maybe find a better podcast that can help you understand other positions. True. Don't stop searching. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time, Josh. Uh, Thank you for your time, TJ. uh, We like to get into our outro, and we like to start our outro with the God Moment segment, where we each share share something that God has done for us uh, recently, whether it be a blessing or a challenge or anything in between. So, Josh? Yeah, I'm just going to say right now, I'm just super thankful for Thanksgiving. It is my favorite holiday. I got to see my family. I got to uh, spend some extra time with my wife, have some time off work, eat a lot of turkey, which is my favorite food. And I'm just having a great week, man. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I would like to say 
Uh, I've seen a lot of turkey slander over the past couple days. How dare they? Which I fully support because turkey's not that good. Uh, you're wrong. No. Uh, but it doesn't stop people from going to Thanksgiving and enjoying you know, time with their families, however small their gathering may have been this year. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people acknowledge that ham is better. That's just but, not true. You know, God bless them before they speak the truth. You, you really like ham more than turkey? Absolutely. I barely can make myself eat ham like that. That doesn't make any sense. It's just not that good. Also, a group of friends and I have decided that uh, <laughs> turkey is probably the worst poultry. So, you know, God bless. Those friends are also wrong. Turkey is clearly the best meat that there is, nope. other than maybe bacon. Nope. That's it. Anyway, uh, so, so future guests for the podcast, uh, we are going to have Pastor Alan Rhodes, uh, Jake Lawrence, who we mentioned here and before uh, from the, the Bible, but funnier uh, podcast. Uh, Pastor C.T. Kirk, who is from our denomination, good guy. And, uh, of course, at the end of the season, we are going to have one Mr. Francis Chan. Who just doesn't know yet. Uh, as soon as he finds out and agrees, you know, then we'll end the time. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. <laughs>